Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's a, another film study. We've got all the uh, UFA stuff coming out this week, but we had to sneak one in here right away because the Ravens have made an acquisition today. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? Not bad at all. Um, we got a full show today. We've got Sarah Ellison joining us, who you all know, been on the show many times. Sarah, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me. All right. And then we got John uh, Sharon, Sharon of Cincy Jungle. Uh, in here to really let us know a whole lot more about Kevin Zeitler, who this show is really going to be about today. Yeah, exciting. So the Ravens have uh, made a move for their offensive line. There's rumors swirling around trading Orlando Brown still, including some bogus things that nothing's come to fruition, right, on a trade with Jacksonville for this, oh, we're getting picks and shark and this and that for, for Orlando Brown. I'm asking you, Sarah, because I know you know these things. Josh, you might oh, know because yeah, you're in Jacksonville. I thought you, were, thought you were talking about Josh. No. Yeah, well, <laughs> the co-owner of the Jag shut that down very quickly. What's always interesting to me is Twitter is the quintessential place that people prefer their own storylines than the truth. You Here you have the, the co-owners <laughs> of the Jag saying it's 100% false, and people are still like, I don't believe you, because they want a big wide receiver so bad in Baltimore. So there's, they're still holding out hope for that, but uh, I would advise not to hold your breath. <laughs> I do find that to be the truth, uh, the, the truth in Cincinnati too, Ed, that everybody on Twitter wants wide receivers or they want a great running back or they want a great offensive skill position player, have no interest in any other position on the entire field. Yeah, I think right now, I think that a lot of Bengals fans would have preferred Kevin Zeiler to a lot of these receivers. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like that that whole situation was was a little bit weird. Like I've heard kind of stuff about the Orlando Brown stuff and they, that, that deal didn't make a lot of sense for either side, in my opinion. Yeah. Before we go to a commercial here, we got there is one rumored trade. Actually, it wasn't a rumored trade, it was a rumored signing. PFF projected the Ravens to sign AJ Green for two years, twenty million. And that it would if I'd read it while I had fluid in my mouth, I would have you know wasted a computer yeah. probably. But. 
<laughs> that has been, um, Ken, you've been saying for months that it's exactly who you do not want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even during the regular season with the trade rumors. I mean, all, he's staring at the camera all the time, mouthing to it. But but what's worse is what happens on the field when he's not trying to break up interceptions. So, uh, you know, obviously it bothers me. Any chance he returns to the Bengals? Uh, there's 0% chance that he returns to the Bengals. But I'm sure like three years ago, Ravens fans wouldn't mind A.J. Green joining their team. He was always the guy that used to do well against them, but those days are definitely long gone. All right. Well, uh, Josh, take us through a March Madness option for our fans. All right. My bookie's back supporting film study. March is here and Madness has officially begun and it's time to shoot your shot and score big with the nonstop action over at my bookie. Uh, select the winners from the 63 tournament games in the MyBookie bracket contest for a chance at $10,000 in cash prizes, and you only cost you a dollar to enter. It doesn't matter whether you're filling out multiple brackets, betting the national championship winner, or simply looking at players and game props, MyBookie has you covered. So sign up today at MyBookie.ag and use the promo code RAVENS to secure your deposit up to $1,000 for your deposit bonus and make sure you use the promo code so they know that you came from film study. So use the promo code Ravens to get that first deposit bonus. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right. Well, thanks, Josh. Let's get right into deal specifics here for a second. Three years, 22 and a half million for Zeitler. Uh, his cap hit in year one is 4.05 million. And the way that breaks down is slightly less than 9 million in signing bonus, slightly more than 1 million in guaranteed salary in the first year makes 4 million, 9 million divided by three plus 1 million and a little bit makes 4.05 million in terms of cap hit in year one. Extremely palatable in a COVID year to get a deal like that. Uh, it really breaks down as a two year deal worth 16 million, all guaranteed. And then a, a Ravens option for a third year and another six and a half million. Honestly, a very manageable contract from the Ravens perspective. And I think one that, that uh, carries a lot of value, specifically in, in terms of how much it can help the Ravens. Uh, Sarah, what do you think will happen with him in terms of, of uh, uh, you know, maybe playing the whole three years, but also just how, how will the Ravens realign to to fit him in? Well, first, I would just say overall, I would, you know, want to grade it. And I think that the, the signing uh, is in that A minus B plus grade area because it is the quintessential Ravens free agent pickup in terms of right player, right price. So you just hit on that price just to dive in a little bit more deep. You know, you compare that to the Chiefs signing for yes. Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney, right? He was five years, 80 million. Okay, Joe Tooney. And a comp pick. Exactly. And he would have negated a comp pick, whereas is, uh, Zeitler does not. So, sure, Tooney is about three years younger and he's a better player because Zeitler has, has trailed off a little bit uh, or, or a bit, but he's still a solid player. Is Joe Tooney. That's 16.5 million average per year versus 7.5 million average per year for, for Zeitler. Okay, I don't think that Joe Tooney is that big of a jump bigger than, than Kevin Zeitler. Uh, so, so I really liked that. I give that A minus B plus grade, not because he's better than Joe Tooney, but because he's rock solid at a much better price, much more palatable price. So completely uh, agree. Yeah. So I think I think the price, as you alluded to, the Ravens nailed it. In terms of being the right player, um, he listen. This Ravens strategy, I don't blame last year, right? Can so Marshall Yonder retires, mm -hmm. the Ravens get a bunch of young interior offensive linemen. Okay. And their bet was, okay, we'll all take him to the off season, which ended up not happening, <laughs> happening really. And we're going to see who emerges and nobody really stuck and the bleeding hurt all season long. So this is the Ravens saying, we still have these young guys. We can continue to develop them, but we're going to get an experience. Our priority is to help Lamar Jackson, both in protection and then continue that run game. Um, Zeitler is a better pass protector than anybody they had in that right guard position last year. Uh, and he's also uh, good at run blocking. I'm sure John can speak more to, to what he brings, but he, he fills a massive need, brings durability, um, and, and is at the right right price. So for those reasons, I give it about an A minus grade for the Ravens. Uh 
like a lot of the things about that, I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that, swing back to that at the end in terms of how much I like the move overall. But the one thing it kind of does do is block a lot of what the Ravens will do with their young players. They're committed to Zeitler for two years at a minimum. He'll start for the next two years if healthy. That That's a position at, at right guard. And we know Bozeman will play one of the other two positions. Mm-hmm where they're not going to have a young player. And they had between those two positions, about five or six total options, which all of them were young. You had TCC, McCary, Phillips, Powers, and Bredesen, all who might've played one of those two positions. Uh, I, I, I think the biggest slight is to Powers who finished the season strong and, and came down the stretch and played seven or eight consecutive games at a fairly decent grade for me. Um, Bredesen has not gotten his first opportunity yet. So it's hard for me to say obviously where, who goes where, but it's, a little birdie is telling me that they're not going to move Bozeman because they're too enamored with what he does in terms of pulling and how important he is to the power run game. And the Ravens v- extremely right-handed. You've heard it on this show before they pull, two and a half to three to one to the right side instead of the left. Uh, Bozeman set the all-time record for pulls in a season by the Ravens uh, this this year. And it's something that, that uh, you know, I just don't see them walking away from. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, to me, it's the Ravens. Yes, the Ravens would have more time. They certainly didn't. They could have moved him last season when they needed the help, right? They didn't do it, but that's hard to do on the fly. So they could do it this offseason with more time. But I'm with you. The preference is to keep him there. Why move him when he has been ascending and was very good last year? Now, as you said, the Ravens are right-handed, but maybe that's because he's so good at polling. Um, you know, if if – you know, if if he wasn't good at pulling and, and, and the right guard was, maybe they would be more left-handed. But but I think in part, they are right-handed because of him. Um, so to me, the ideal scenario is to leave him there, is to leave him at left guard next to Stanley, who's going to be coming back from an injury. I would like to see a high draft pick for 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 the center position. When I say high, I mean more like second round. Maybe you can maybe treat Humphrey or somebody still there. Because to me, it's a little bit dangerous having a rookie with with Lamar. However, this offensive line is now becoming more on the experienced side. You know, Stanley's not a rookie. He's on his second deal. Bozeman is is coming to his own. Zeitler is obviously bringing a bunch of experience. So to me, they can afford a rookie in that position. And if that and if that rookie doesn't pan out, then you can have as a backup, you've got McCary, you've got Tristan Colon Castillo to, to perhaps come in there. If, if that rookie isn't quite ready, I like that option better than uh, one of these guys who didn't really pan out, whether it's Phillips and powers and moving them over to the left guard, or maybe a rookie that they draft. But, but to me, I would like to leave Bozeman and, and get a, uh, a high drafted rookie at the center position. Okay, and that that essentially closes all the doors at once, particularly if Orlando Brown is not traded. Stanley starts the season. You've got all five of your positions figured out, essentially. And so all of those players, Powers obviously is out of a job, even though he's got two cheap years left on his contract. Uh, you know, Phillips doesn't have a role other than being a backup, and McCary becomes a full-time backup. I think if you're going to go to a ninth offensive lineman, it's probably Bredesen and TCC is off the roster because you're only going to keep nine offensive linemen to, to play eight. But, you know, tell us, John, jump in here, because I want to hear what the Bengals' philosophy has been on this similar concept. Have they generally gone out and tried to get a veteran when they could to plug a hole or when they had two young players where they thought they might have one who could develop, have they, have they preferred to try both? Oh man. Like when they like, when they let Zyler go, um, first of all, it didn't really make a lot of sense at the time because he was that good. And then they drafted him in the first round to be as good as he was. And their plan to replace them to replace him. It ended up costing half of what it cost, like, for teams to employ Zyler over the past four years, but they got literally half the production out of it. They like tried Trey Hopkins at right guard. They, they tried Alex Redman. They tried, um, 
Jesus, TJ Johnson. They tried a bunch of other guys. I'm sure that some of you, some of you guys have remembered over the over the past couple of years when you played the Bengals and their terrible offensive line. But Zyler was just a situation where they just didn't really value, I guess, the guard spot in general to, to pay him that that price. And that you, you would think that they would value him a little bit more at the price that he got with with the Ravens uh, today. But it just still wasn't the case. So the, their whole thing has been like, you know, they, they preach draft retained developments and all that stuff. But I guess some positions they still don't exactly value it to the point where they're willing to pay all all the money that it, t- it takes to I guess reset the market or, or get these guys with their guaranteed salaries and whatnot. So with Zyler, it was really a situation of okay, they they don't value him at that price, but they also don't value replacing him enough to you know go out and get serious about getting a viable replacement for it, and they've been paying for it ever since. It's it's interesting because I think that if you go back to about two thousand and thirteen. I may have the year wrong. What was Zeitler's rookie year? Because I'm thinking after his second 2012 year. 2012 was his rookie year. Okay. So, to be 2013, that's perfect because Osemele was at the same point. The AFC North had four outstanding young guards. And they had Marsha Yonda was already the, the, the old man of the group and, and the, the, you know, the consistent pro bowler. But they had Zeitler at Cincinnati. They had Betonio at Cleveland. DeCastro at uh, uh, Pittsburgh. And they had Osemele just starting off for the Ravens and being good really shows you nothing is forever, but the Castro, you know, stayed with the Steelers <laughs> and, and, and played well for most of those years. And, uh, Zeitler has, has uh, moved. Obviously assembly was lost, uh, you know, at, at the first juncture, frankly, because Flacco's contract made other free agents very difficult to afford. Uh, but it's, it's, uh, it was a, it was an incredible group of players. I guess the, the Browns have still held on to Betonio the entire time. Yeah. And they, they've found, you know, a, um, what do you call it? A diamond in the rough with White Teller too to really slip yeah. by the right guard, and then they moved by Tonio to left guard. So yeah, like and the Steelers have been you know good up until I guess this past year in terms of their offensive line before Mike Munchak left, and you know the Ravens have always had success you know plugging their holes with whatever, whatever they can find. It's just been when it, ever since Zyler and I guess Whitworth left in 2017, it's been an uphill battle for the Bengals to kind of retain that form. Let's go back to when Zeitler was a Bengal and talk a little bit about what he did well qualitatively. Uh, and, and, you know, we want to go through all the things. And remember, the, the audience here is is used to a lot of soapboxing on various offensive line components. So they're, they're fairly knowledgeable. But, but uh, take us back to Kevin Zeitler, the, the Bengal. Kevin Zeitler, the Bengal, started off as a rookie. A lot of people expected the Bengals to take David DeCastro in that draft. They traded back in the first round and took Zeitler and got like a third round pick as well. They just they loved the fact that he was as strong as a mule, but also quicker than expected. You know, coming from Wisconsin, those guys just breed offensive linemen. They're so perfect in their technique. But Zeitler, at 22 years old, I think he had the biggest biceps on the entire team. That includes Geno Hackins. He was mm-hmm. he was just he was bred to be an NFL player. He was so strong as as just a young rookie, and he moved a lot better than you. Would expect you just expect him just to be a mauler a powerful guy but you know the Bengals when they had Paul Alexander as their offensive line coach they were in a lot of they were a base zone offense in terms of the, mm-hmm. the running scheme and he got into space he got into those drive blocks pretty damn well and you guys have talked about pulling a lot I don't think they use Zeidler as much as a puller they had Clint Bowling as a left guard when he was playing there and they they loved pulling Bowling around the center towards the right side and they had Zeidler more on those down blocks and you know again no, no one could bull rush he was so strong at the point of attack and he would always generate movement and you know he wasn't the greatest i I think at getting to the second level but like strength wise there was no weakness there a lot to unpack there and i just want to talk about some of this because i looked at four games from 2020 just want to talk a little bit about some of the things i saw that are that are similar to john's comments here but i'll start with the nobody can bull rush him comment he really is remarkably quick to anchor he has some makeup anchor and we're used to ravens guards in particular and centers frankly these last few years getting pushed backwards and sometimes they can find their anchor again but more often than not whether it's been jeremy zuda or skura or or others, they, they've had a lot of problems reestablishing that anchor. And I think he, he, Zeitler, from what I saw in terms of his play with the Giants, both was great at getting his anchor and ending the rep early. A lot of that is length related. He's he's making that first contact with the shoulders of that opponent, and he's getting them slightly off balance, which negates some of their bull rush power. I, I think there was some of that 
He's very quick off the snap as well, which do you recall that from his days in Cincinnati being one of his positive traits? Yeah, there was there's no really like weakness in this game with Pastro because he was strong. But he, like you said, he was quick to anchor and he had a great core strength and he was able to just drop his hips and just take maybe like one or two hop steps. And the guys would get stopped in the tracks. And like you said, there's a slight length issue. I think he only has like 32 and a half inch arms, but he compensates for that well. He's, just, he's got great timing. And when, when you have that timing and that strength, you, you typically win more times than not. Good pass off capability, I thought, and on stunts so far this year. He did allow a, a, you know, one sack in the last game against the Cowboys. If folks, if folks want to go back and take a look at it, it was on a on a stunt handoff that he overcommitted to, but it was it was pretty much the right tackle did not take was not in position to take the stunt. He then overcommitted to it, didn't get back in time to to stop a sack through the uh, left. A gap, uh, but but anyway, I, I thought in general very good on on stunt exchanges. That's something really shows up as a veteran as as him doing very well. Right, and uh, as as you guys can attest to, at least like looking back at what he was like, he didn't wasn't really penalized that much. I don't remember a lot of holdings. Mm-hmm. There might have been a couple of false starts in there, but he's he was an aggressive guy. You know, he, I, I don't know if he's like the quintessential finisher. You know, drive guys into the ground. You know, that's, that's a lot of fluff, anyways. But mm-hmm. he he would he would drive guys out, and he wouldn't really stop until they were. So it was just it was a lot of mundane stuff. It was it was very boring to watch him when he was good because he just rarely messed up. Right. He's very positional as a blocker, is, is, and that's very important. Right guard, especially if you're in a right-handed run game, you need to be able to pivot and get that defensive tackle turned. It's like you're turned through the hole. And that he, he has to effectively seal that defensive tackle and allow the play to flow in that direction easily to make the most of pulling players, whether that's a two-man pull or a single. And he did a, he did a very good job of that. He, he definitely rem, reminds you of Marshall as kind of pivoting that uh, – of, of, of pivoting that player – um, uh, very effectively, I thought. I thought his mobility also getting to level two didn't have a problem with it at all. I thought you know combination blocks. He has a very good uh, decision making internal clock, whatever it will be. Maybe it's the signaling with the players next to him. Uh, though he didn't have very good linemen, he was working with with the Giants to release into level two and make blocks there. And, and it, the Giants didn't run nearly as much as the Ravens did, but he's he's still picking up five level two blocks per game. Uh, and he was he was fairly successful on his polls in general, I'd say as well. You want to talk about moving up to the second level in combo blocks? There was this one play against the Falcons, I believe it was 2014, where it was it was almost like a counter run to the right, and there the, like the the B gap between him and the right tackle was opening up, and he had I think the nose tackle in his left hand, and then he kind of moved up like a couple yards to the linebacker and grabbed the, the linebacker with his right hand, and he sealed off both guys, which is at the same time at the same time with one hand yep. and it was a it was a, i think it was a touchdown for giovanni bernard that was eight years ago or seven years ago yeah but like i mean he's still playing at a pretty decent level for being 31 years old he's he takes care of his body well and he still has that strength yeah i i i you definitely have to really like what he brings to the game physically and i noticed one play like that too where he had a hand on two different players mm-hmm. uh it was on a pass blocking situation so it wasn't in a run block but uh but still that same same kind of impressive uh uh deal what did he do for the Bengals screen game? Because that's something the Ravens do not do often. Uh, but in terms of getting out in front on screen blocks, was he a lungy player at all? Or, or how did he look in level two there? So I don't remember a lot of him out on screens. Like he's not the he's not the greatest athlete, but he's definitely athletic enough to get out in space, as you alluded to. I, I think in the screen game, like you said, there's not a lot of length there and there's not a, a ton of downfield explosion to his game. So he might end up lunging on a couple of things. I, I don't know if like the, the screen game is where you would see him thrive in his best, especially at this point in his career. But I think he does does it well enough if, if you scheme it properly. One thing that Ravens fans have been gotten used to probably taken for granted is the correct word is that they can get by with some lesser linemen these last few years because Lamar Jackson makes everybody better. Sarah, are you salivating over that right now with him coming to the Ravens? Cause I'm certainly excited about it. Yeah. I mean, I, you're right. Lamar Jackson makes the entire, entire offensive lines job easier. Uh, definitely easier, but I want to see the reverse start to happen. <laughs> I want to <laughs> see the offensive line and his targets make his job a little bit easier. And so I think that that's what this first step is. Like I've, you know, after, after the, the season ended, you know, I was ready. I was like, let's, let's upgrade this line. 
uh, this offensive line, then, you know, I saw some people say, well, but do the real, do the Ravens really have a problem? It was just some off steps that may not go on. And, and if the Ravens needed to start their offensive line with the people they have, sure, they'd be fine. But I think the goal and the Ravens made it very clear. They want to make the offensive line a massive strength. Stop putting all this pressure on Lamar Jackson and Lamar will sometimes get get hit saying he doesn't throw enough and he runs. Well, that's true. There are sometimes he he you know doesn't hit an open receiver, but there are all the other times that that's just not the case. That he's he's saving saving his offensive lineman. He's saving uh, a play. You know, it could be. It looks like it's going to be a sack. And the next thing you know, he's he's got the first down. And so, um, so I'm sure he's going to make Zeitler's job easier. But I want to see the reverse. I want to see Zeitler allow Lamar to trust them all so much that he doesn't get happy with his feet and then take off. I want him to feel comfortable back there. I want him to feel at ease. And it was so clear he did not feel that way by the end of last season. So uh, I'm I'm excited to see him be more comfortable. Yeah, definitely by the Buffalo game, he did not feel it. He had a, <laughs> yes. he had, he had a good last five games of the year. The Ravens had a, a very dominant win streak there to, to close out the year and finish with the best point differential. I, I You know, I, I, as much as the offensive line has had problems, they still have two outstanding tackles. And we hope Stanley returns to playing like Stanley after the injury. They still have Orlando Brown as of right this moment. And they now have Kevin Zeitler to add in. It would be really hard for them to screw this up, even if they did not draft a center or a, or a guard in this coming year. I mean, for one thing, it's they have to they have to get they have to jettison a player if they if they do draft one, and their health holds up through camp because they, you could really can only have nine offensive linemen on the roster dress eight on game day. I, I don't think anything else makes sense. John, have you seen any, any team that's out there trying to get 10 offensive linemen at once at this point? Man, it's definitely not oh, the 53. It's definitely not the Bengals. Um, and no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I, I think in terms of roster construction, I believe like they had the thing where it's like, if you had eight, you have like an extra player on the roster, but yeah, so you have to have eight. Yeah. But usually your pool on the 53 is nine. Right. Yeah. I, I, 10, 10 would definitely be on the high side. All right. Well, I, I, I'm, I, you know, each of these moves, every one of them clogs things up in a way that makes them more difficult to take other moves. And if I were Powers right now, or if I were um, Phillips, or if I were Bredesen, I, it, or either of the other young players for that matter, McCarry or TCC, it's it's difficult to accept what's just happening right now because it's definitely there's a smaller pool of jobs open, and the next opportunity for a lot of these guys is probably going to come on via injury. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. These guys. Well, and I'm starting to think of like back in the day, I mean, from a from a Raven standpoint, um, you know, they they traded away uh, Lewis. Was it Lewis? Um, Alex Lewis. And Alex Lewis. There you go. Alex yes. Lewis. And, and so the Ravens could find some value come training camp time and maybe trade one of these guys away if they do draft another. Um and so, sure, if I'm Powers, especially Powers, if I'm Powers, I'm nervous. Phillips, I don't mm -hmm. think that they would move on from. I think he's, I mean, he was partly injured last year. They had him playing different positions, and that was switching after he was coming out from college. So I don't think it would, you know, I don't think they're moving on from him. I don't think he's, you know, would have had uh, enough opportunity to do that. But Powers, I definitely think he should be a little bit nervous, especially since he, he started the last quarter or so of the season uh, and yeah. this is basically a rejection of that by, by, by signing Zeitler. And so, but again, you know, again, the Ravens would have been fine with powers, but that is not the Ravens goals. The Ravens goal is to get Lamar Jackson, a superior offensive line, an offensive line that they can take, take deep into the playoffs and potentially to the Super Bowl. That's their goal. They're saying powers is not that guy right now. Yes, I, I, I think they are. The only way that Powers gets his job back or a job back is to move to left guard with Bozeman moving to center. Do you think that's in the Ravens' mind right now at all, or do you think that they appreciate Bozeman too much as a puller to move him? I think they could. I think it all depends on the draft. And I think, I mean, I think we all know that the Ravens have set themselves up so that they can take, when they're on the clock, take the best interior offensive lineman. And so they're not stuck with a guard. They're not stuck with the center. Zeitler provides them that, that possibility. And so this is not written yet. We're going to see what's going to happen in the draft. If it's my wish and they get a top-notch center, 
then I think they're going to keep they're going to keep Bowers there. But if if that doesn't materialize, and you know the Ravens, they never feel pressured to make a move. They don't feel pressured. Maybe we'll talk more about Orlando. They don't feel pressured to 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 trade Orlando, even though Orlando has been extremely public about it about it. They don't feel pressured to do that. They're not going to go into the draft feeling pressured to do anything. They're going to have all the holes filled, and then that way they can take the best player available. Um, the only place all I holes do- partially filled. Because the best way to go into the draft is is to have a whole bunch of small needs that doesn't force you into taking the one big need. That right. You have. right, 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 right. Yeah. To me, at this point, but free agency isn't over. The only huge need the Ravens have is pass rusher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. So, John, before we let you go, who, what are the Bengals' uh, needs in the draft, and do you think they've forced themselves all into a corner in terms of of what they're going to select this year? Oh, they absolutely work themselves into a corner. Like right now, it's it's offensive tackle or bust for them. I would say like there's not not a lot of really good ones left on the market, and if and the only good ones are typically on the older side, and that's not really what they do in terms of early free agency activity. But I, I think but before that, you might see the Bengals like maybe sign a guard that's not Kevin Zeidler at this point, but definitely in the draft, I would expect the Bengals to, to target an offensive tackle with that first pick. What, what about Orlando Brown for the Bengals? Is he the kind of player, because he'd be a big money uh, signing, and obviously, well, I don't know if he'd say obviously the Bengals are not going to contend this year, but it's a tough division. And it, it would it be would he be a player that the Bengals would be in the market for uh, to trade and sign long-term? It would 100% be like depend on the compensation that they would have to give up. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. telling you right now, they're not giving up that fifth pick to, to especially to a, a division. No, of course not to a division rival. Um, and also, like I, I think Orlando Brown sincerely does want to play left tackle, and I'm not sure that the Bengals would be willing to move Jonah Williams off that spot for him. Like I, I think, I think to his credit, Orlando Brown is so much better of a player than I gave him credit for coming out of Oklahoma. I was really scared off from that combine, but he's really shown out to to excel in that Raven system. I really hope for the best that he continues to excel, um, whether it's with the Ravens or so with, with the team that's going to play him at left tackle. But I wouldn't expect the Bengals to be interested in that. I just think it would cost too much, I guess. And maybe they're not interested in paying him right now. All right. Well, John, really appreciate you joining us. It's, it's always great to have someone with a real background with, with a player, uh, having watched him a lot more than we have, obviously, over the years. We appreciate you joining us. Where can folks find your work? Um, they can find me at cincyjungle.com. Um, we just do Bengals stuff. And obviously, once the season comes back up, you can find us there for you know coverage on the two Ravens games. And you can find me on Twitter at John2 underscore Sheeran. All right. Always worth it to have a nice uh, stable of people on opposing teams that you're following, particularly your same division. And I really encourage people to go out through there and, and uh, go out and give John a follow. John, thanks for, thanks so much for joining us. And uh, we'll get you back for a Know Your Foe episode in the coming season, I hope. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Take it easy. If you have loved ones that rely on your income, you need life insurance. But finding the best quote shouldn't take a lifetime. With Policy Genius, you could save 50% or more by comparing quotes from America's top insurers. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, Policy Genius will compare prices starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to fast track your coverage with a no exam policy. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team handles all the paperwork and red tape. If you have any questions, their team of licensed independent experts is on hand to help. In fact, Policy Genius's award-winning service has a five-star rating across thousands of reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Make today the day you cross life insurance off your list and get protection for your loved ones. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes. To get covered, head to policygenius.com today. Hey, Sarah, I, I just thought we'd, we'd go over real quickly what uh, I saw from Zeitler in these four games uh, in terms of some things, because don't get to say all of this, but it made 15 out of 16 pulls in the four games. But one of the times he missed, and it wasn't among, it wasn't the one he missed. It was an extra one that was a penalty and an offensive hold on the on the call. Seems kind of jittery pre-snap, and this is something mm-hmm. that because he has line call responsibilities, he'll get down in his stance and he twitches like a bird a lot, uh, and, and and does not seem to get settled until very late. And and one of the things that can do, and I think the Ravens will have to maybe coach this up a little bit because he's still doing this with the Giants way into his career, is that it gives away some of the cadence of your offense 
to know that until Zeitler just sits the hell down, I'm not going to jump off before upsides before then. <laughs> so uh, he does false start a fair amount. He, he had, uh, let's see, let me make sure I had this right. He had two false start penalties uh, that were legitimate and another one that was called on him that wasn't even him in, in one of the well, games. This was all in 2020? In 2020. Yeah, so he had okay, four. He, he had, I, I saw P, uh, Pro Football Reference had about three penalties total, but are you seeing four? He had okay. Now here's what I've got. PFF showed okay. him with four. I looked at four games and I saw he had been assigned with four in the game book, but one of those was an incorrectly assigned false start. So PFF had it correct in their scoring, and I had okay. it correct in mine. And the other, his fourth penalty was in another game. But the I, what I tried to do, and by the way, this is a, a good technique for looking back at a player's last year when you only have time to do a limited sample of games, try and pick four games or three games or whatever you can do and, and try and make them be representative of his overall PFF score. It's a good place to start. And so that's okay. what I, that's what I tried to do in this case and get four, not his best games, not his worst games, but some good pass blocking, some good run blocking. So I'd see what he did well in this case, the, 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 the games I picked seem to have most of his penalties, but what that means is he was, he wasn't doing something else good in his other games because these were average right. games. Right. So, Anyway, uh, it, it, it kind of was. He's got, it really twitches a lot pre-snap. It, it's it's a it's a funny thing to say, but he obviously had responsibilities uh, there that were cadence related. That he was having to give information to the center, and maybe you know uh, something the Ravens get back from this is if the center's only responsibility is snapping the ball correctly and not making line calls because okay. Zeitler can do that, then maybe they get more snap accuracy again. How, how in your estimation, because I feel like in Baltimore, it's always pretty much been the center. Did, did Yonda, no, Yonda do that? Oh, Yonda, Yonda did, did do it. And, and what you look for is you look for looking back at the quarterback and then patting the, the fanny of the center. But if you, if you, I mean, classic Marshall Yonda, you'd always see him do that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and you'd only do it on certain plays. You wouldn't do it on all plays because sometimes it's, you, you know, you're going as fast, moving as fast as you can. So it just goes up and they go in for sound. But other times, you know, they're trying to get the, the get a cadence right. And then they, and then Yonda will pat the fanny of the center and, and make the line call uh, on that particular play. Well then Ken, you're making me feel even more comfortable about yes. potentially starting a rookie at center, knowing that Zeitler has nine years of experience or, and on almost 9,000 snaps at right guard, that makes me even more comfortable with having a rookie at center. Um, so I'm glad you pointed that out. Very good. But I did not know about the twitching stuff. I haven't had time to go back and look at too much of his yeah. tape yet today. Uh, I, I mean, I was looking at his penalties. I had seen three, and so I was pretty happy with, you know, where we were at considering how many snaps he makes. But now I've got to watch out for that. Yeah, it's not an outrageous total. I don't want to claim yeah. that. I mean, you know, player powers had much worse problems with penalties this last year, and that was frankly most of his deductions. Or it was a it was a higher percentage of his deductions than it was for other players. Let's put it that way. So gotcha. I, I think with, with Zeitler's case, he he doesn't make what I would call stupid holding penalties. The the one he made on the pole was kind of not that good, but it, it's not. It wasn't a terrible. It was the, it was going in the right direction. It wasn't holding on to the player for stupidly long or way out of position it was just it it was what it was so right right uh good footwork is something we want out of Zeitler. Obviously, we had no problems with Yonda and really have not had much in the way of problems with center going back a good long ways, uh, really honestly back to the Flynn era. But the Ravens you know, have done a good job of coaching their players up not to trip players as they're pulling since they do it so much. And Skura was particularly good at that. But, you know, I, I come back to the snap problems again is that Skura is gone right now or not, not uh, you know, does not have an obvious place on the team. Let's put it that right, way. Right. And McCary, they're questioning. And, you know, TCC even wasn't perfect, um, largely because of these snap issues. And I, I think this is having a right guard who handles the cadence. That's a good enough reason beyond the difference between Zeitler and Powers to pay mm -hmm. a lot of additional money to put someone in that position. That is, that is an excellent point. Um, I, I mean, it just, there is something again with, with Yonda in addition to his skills and just raw talent and the fact that he's a future hall of famer to have somebody in there that brings calm to the situation that brings, you know, I've been here before. I know what I've been doing. And then you add what we're, what we're talking about now of, of being able to diagnose the defense and being able to help um, call out those changes, I think um, 
prior to our conversation here, I hadn't thought of that, but I think that that takes it to a, another whole level that would the the whole line would benefit from. Yeah, I mean, I guess the last time they had a center who was really completely self sufficient in this, I, I I don't I think Yanda was doing it for Zuda, so I think it's really Matt Burke. I think you have to go back to Matt Burke before <laughs> Honestly, you really found yeah. a player, and he could do it all. He didn't need any help from uh, from anybody. Yeah, and sometimes line. that snapping stuff. I mean, it is you know this this mental problem. I mean, Skura was fine complete in 2019. I don't recall yeah. snapping issues, and then McCary gets it suddenly. Uh, in in Buffalo, and maybe the weather had a factor, but but I'm not messing around with that. To me, to me, those those that snap. Okay, mm-hmm. you'll remember. Okay, go back to Lee Evans, right? Mm-hmm. Who had an okay season, but when he dropped that pass in New England, he was done. He's not coming back to Baltimore. It was it was you know one massive or sin <laughs> or, or Cundiff. It was yeah. those massive sins that it is like it it just ruined their whole body of work. Now I'm not going to put, you know, McCary step that high, but listen, that snap is what led to Lamar Jackson getting concussed and had from there no chance to make a comeback. And maybe he wouldn't have done it, but the fact that you're in the divisional round and you've lost your starting quarterback to a snap that's that's one to me. Maybe he's not banished from Baltimore forever, but I'm not. I don't want to start him the next year. I don't want to start him. It, it was a big enough. It was a big enough blunder that I want. To, I want a big time upgrade. Right. I, I I have no problem with wanting an upgrade there. I don't think either McCary or TCC is the guy I want at center. A lot of people talk about McCary's versatility, and I, I think guard would be the best place for him to come back and play some if there was an injury. Uh, I really don't think he has the arm length to play tackle. He, he had half one half a good game at New England, I believe, uh, but he's he's really not cut out of the of the mold for that for that position. He's just not uh, not who I'd want to see that. But they probably would keep him around as an emergency player and he'll probably be- I, I think he I think that would be great. He he is it's the versatility that you're talking about. Keep him as a backup and he can plug in at so many places that like sure he wasn't your number one option but you feel solid with him coming in as a backup uh when you lose your starter. I really like him as a as a backup that could that he could plug in in multiple positions. All right, last question I think we want to talk about today is does any of this impact the decisions they'll make on Orlando Brown? Does any of the fact that they've cut off some of the positional availability for players like Phillips and McCary, who are maybe potential right tackle backup types, um, does does any of that change how they view the Orlando Brown situation? I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, I've been, I've been, tweeting this since since Orlando uh, requested trade. Here's the bottom line. I think the Ravens want to keep Orlando Brown Jr. I think that is their number one preference. I think they're being um, I think they're being courteous partners with Orlando and I think that by being courteous they're like sure go out and go check out what trades you can get go find out what you have but as they give that permission I, I don't know if they communicated it or not, but I guarantee the Ravens have a threshold. Mm-hmm. The threshold of we will only trade them if we get X amount of value. Mm-hmm. Whether they communicated that or not, that's their threshold. Okay, and take so, players out of it. What do you think okay. that threshold is? I, I agree like, completely, by the way. Uh, my threshold is first round value. Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a first round pick, but it, to me, it has to add, um, add up to first round value. Where so in the, the first day, round? Because that's a well, wide. They, oh, right, right, right. So the other day, um, somebody had, what did they propose to me? Uh, it was the Vikings, because it was after, because remember, this is hilarious. Remember the both press conferences with with um, Ed, with Eric DaCosta and John Harbaugh. Eric DaCosta says a key phrase which everybody should listen to, which is that Orlando Brown knows he's under contract. Okay. And there's a lot that goes in with that. Like it, he can't hold out. We all know that because he won't get enough years to become a free agent next year. And then if he came back and came back bitter, right. And he doesn't play as well, then he's not going to get the big contract that he wants. So not only does he need to come back, but he needs to come back and play at the top of his game for a big contract. Okay. So, mm-hmm. or, so or Eric DeCosta says that 
little phrase. And then John Harbaugh says, well, you know, in case Stanley isn't quite ready yet, they think he will. If he's not ready, we have another left tackle. And of course, he's talking about Orlando Brown. It is clear to me that they do not feel pressured. But but then right afterwards, what happens? Orlando Brown gives his first national interview. And the national interview to, to NFL uh, Network, and it's about oh, well, we're confident that it's going to happen. If you were confident it was going to happen, you wouldn't be doing this 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 interview. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that he did that interview showed that there was no trade that was imminent. And then all of a sudden, that same day, oh, there's a report that six teams are interested. Oh, the Vikings are interested. That those I I would feel very strong in guessing that those were fed by his agents, right? Trying to trying to drum up some interest after the Ravens put out a very stable like vibe. Okay. So anyway, that day, somebody on Twitter asked me, would you trade Orlando Brown jr. For the Vikings? Um, I think they're at 16. I think they're at 16. That's they're Okay. 16th pick overall. Okay. 16th pick overall. So you would have to trade Orlando Brown and your 27th pick. You get their first pick and I think it was a third pick, he said. So I went to the JJ value chart and that all of that together came up to be, um, it came up to be basically equivalent to, I think a 30 or 31st round pick after everything he said to me, I don't know if I'm replying everything that he gave to me, Mm -hmm. but it came out to be a 31st pick for me. I was okay. I was good with that. The number 16 pick, the Ravens aren't getting to number 16 anytime soon, unless Lamar Jackson gets hurt Mm -hmm. mid season. Okay, they're not getting to 16. So if you want to replace Orlando Brown, which they're going to have to do eventually, they're not getting hired than number 16 anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So to me, plus you get the third rounder, uh, to me, that was palatable. So that was a long-winded answer to your question of, well, first round is, you know, it varies big time. But I was, I was good with JJ value at around 30 or 31, 32. Okay, so at th- 30, 31 is 31, in fact, was, I think, the top end of the range that I said originally, somewhere between the 31st and the 40th pick. You know, if the Jaguars traded number 33, that might be something you'd consider in exchange for Orlando Brown. I don't think that's the case anymore. I've heard too much about multiple bidders being involved. And this may be a case where Orlando Brown's agent has drummed up his own value to a higher degree with the Ravens. Yeah. I think, hey, there's six teams interested in Orlando Brown. Well, yeah. if there are, <laughs> come yeah, forth yeah, with yeah. the offer. <laughs> we love it. Um, the, if the, there were, he wouldn't have done that interview. <laughs> yes. Well, they, I, I, let me say this. If the Chargers are really offering number 13 to the Ravens in exchange for Orlando Brown, they cannot, they cannot turn it down. Agreed. As much as they love Orlando Brown, one year of Orlando Brown is not worth anywhere near 1,150 JJ points. Uh, if, if somebody trades them 31, like the chiefs, because they don't have any tackles, I can't, I, I, I'm no longer, am I saying that that's a deal I would accept for a couple of reasons in that case. I want to, I don't want to make the chiefs any stronger in the arrangement, but I also don't want to, don't, don't want to, uh, accept that little value anymore. So I think it's something higher than that. And you complicate it when you get DJ Chark involved because DJ Chark essentially has very little total value. You get him for one year, same as that somebody gets Orlando for one year, but Orlando has a lot more long-term signability value and probably more value, certainly in terms of this single year as well. And certainly to the Ravens who will blow it with a wide receiver if they, if they get one. Uh, yeah. I just, I, 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 I don't really see a ton of value in getting shark. Uh, right, 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 right. Well, that was all crazy to begin with. I mean, uh, again, I, the Ravens do, okay. Do, the, the Ravens fans really love that because it's a six foot four pro bowl receiver, although he didn't have the greatest season last year mm-hmm. uh, at some point, at some point Ravens fans are going to have to look at their team and accept who they are. Yes. <laughs> Not accept, embrace. This isn't embrace. a crazy uncle at, 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 at Thanksgiving. I mean, this is this is your your best friend coming to Thanksgiving. Exactly. And the, and just to, the Ravens are number one. Draft well. Pay your own free agents, by the way. I've seen so many times today, why don't the Ravens spend money? They do. They just spent money on one of the best left tackles midseason. They just spent top money on, uh, what, a top five cornerback in Marlon Humphrey. Mm-hmm. They, they re-signed Jimmy Smith, whatever. I mean, that was a smaller deal. They're saving up 
for Lamar Jackson. They're saving up for perhaps one of the biggest tight end deals, or at least in the top three for, um, Mark, for Mark Andrews. The Ravens spend money, but they're more, they feel more comfortable and, this is the smart way to go about it. They feel more comfortable spending on players that have already fit in their system. They look what happened with Yannick Ngakwe. Everybody was going crazy when he was still uh, with the Jags. Get him, get him, get him, get him, get him, get him, get him. He's perfect. He's perfect. He's perfect. He comes and Wink Martindale is a phenomenal de defensive coordinator. This is a phenomenal defense, and he just didn't fit in. That's the risk you run when you grab somebody else's free agent. Look what happened with Earl Thomas. That's the risk you run giving top, top dollar to somebody else's player. And so the, the Ravens basically like to spend on, them, on their own players first. Okay. Well, first of all, always, always love spending on their own players. And that's every, every franchise should look at that as an opportunity is you should, there's heartbreaking decisions to be made when you have a draft as good as 2018 players are going to mm -hmm. go, you know, and fortunately they're not going to lose Lamar Jackson, but they might lose Orlando Brown and they might also lose Mark, An Mark Andrews. And they, and they might be able to keep Deshaun Elliott and Averett and Bozeman, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. but, but they've already lost Zach Sealer from that. I mean, you know, heartbreaking things happen when you draft as well as the Ravens do. You end up losing some of your homegrown talent, but I completely agree. And if you look at the Earl Thomas and the Ngakwe acquisitions separately, you see that Earl Thomas, they signed for a ton of money and it was another team. It really didn't work out. And then they paid double when, you know, he had the personality he had and ended up right. not fitting with Ngakwe. They acquired him in season. They acquired him for a third. They're going to lose him. They'll probably get another third in the future. So it's not like the draft capital associated with that trade is going to be enormously negative. It's some, but it's not enormously negative. I actually think he played pretty well for the Ravens. I don't think he was a complete disaster. So no. I, I don't hate that trade. I, I do hate the Thomas signing. And if they signed a wide receiver, we've got the potential to really hate that because it's going to offset a draft pick the Ravens get. And the guy could suck inside the Ravens system. <laughs> Exactly. Well, and that's the other part of that you might need to accept about the Ravens. Okay. And this is even before Lamar Jackson was, um, before Lamar Jackson was your quarterback. Okay. So this was even with Joe Flacco, who was a traditional drop back passer. The Ravens don't believe in paying big time wide receivers. Mm -hmm. Now there can be exceptions, right? Like, if they can get, if they had a Julio Jones and had an opportunity at it when he was in his prime and maybe they draft him, then, okay, so there's going to be exceptions. But the, for the most part, they have told us with their actions and with their words, mm -hmm. year after year after year after year, that is not where they invest their money. Mm -hmm. It's not where they invest their money. Now, that's hard to hear because this, everybody says, well, this is a passing league. Uh, can't do it. And I do think the Ravens definitely need an upgrade. It, I, I, I agree that number 32 isn't going to cut it. So, so I'm not advocating that the Ravens stay, stay that, that far down. But at some point, you're going to have to accept or have to go cheer for a different team that spends a lot of money on wide receivers. The Ravens keep telling you with their actions and in their press conferences that they're not spending big time money at the wide receiver position. Maybe that'll change some year, someday. I don't think it's going to be now. Yeah, it's very similar to the tackle situation. I mean, you know, we we hear it from from uh, John Sheeran. We hear it uh, we hear it from you as well. That you know, you don't if you get way up into the top ten, the top fifteen, then that's where you get a premium left tackle. That's where you can draft Ronnie Stanley. That's mm -hmm. also, by the way, where you can get the outstanding wide receiver and many of them work out and some of them just come in a cut below. Corey Davis is not a bad player, but he wasn't worth the mm -hmm. fifth pick overall. No. I, and, and, you know, it's, it's just a, there, there's some significant risk associated with, with, top picks at wide receiver that I think is more than top picks at offensive line might be more risky to take top picks at quarterback too. But anyway, I think I think you pay a premium, a positional premium at wide receiver and quarterback uh, that that is too much at the at those positions. I also think that's true of inside linebacker, by the way. But uh, but it is what it is. Well, oh, and, and wide receiver is just a dependent position, right? Like if you don't, we saw it in the Super Bowl. If the offensive line doesn't protect your quarterback, I mean the offensive line is useful on every single snap, not just useful, mm -hmm. but everybody depends on them in every single snap, whether you're running or you're throwing.
It doesn't matter which one. Every single snap, all five of those offensive linemen really matter. Okay. So then you go back from there with quarterback. Okay. And, and then you have running back and then you have wide receiver. And so it's just such a dependent position that if something else falls apart along the offensive line or with your quarterback, then that is wasted money on a, on a wide receiver. Cause you can't even get him the ball. Mm-hmm. So, uh, right, so thanks for retying that by the way. Yeah, yeah. So that's why we, <laughs> I guess we got back today. to Kevin Zeitler. Yeah, so now. We've come full circle. <laughs> really appreciate it, Sarah. Thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure to have you. What's your latest project? You know what? I actually need to reach out to you. You know what I need to do, but I should wait until after the draft is I need to update my quarterback project. It took so okay. long to go and get injuries for the last 10 years that I now just want to keep it up year after year. So we'll have to talk about that uh, and, and just and just update it to make sure that we're constantly getting the, the, the best info on that. Yeah, you know, that's that's a great project. And I'm not saying it's not worth it, but I will say there's a there's a part of me that says you will become slave to your own data, much like <laughs> I have become. You know? Like I went back and I got all the defensive players for every play, and now I have to keep it for the rest of time. And I've been scored 15 years of offensive line, and now I have to keep doing it, even yeah. though I have to tell myself, like, what can I not do to to be a little bit freer during the season and, and have a little more time? Yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily this one isn't as time consuming. It's time consuming in the moment I'm doing it, but it doesn't, it's not all 16 games or longer in, in the playoffs. So luckily it only hits me up for a certain period of the, of the year. It's still out there, by the way, Sarah's study, outstanding stuff. And it's, it's, you know, there's, there's also always a few studies that are out there that are good on the site and in general, but Sarah's is really excellent because it also is, it comes with an H zero. You know, I, I, there's a hypothesis being made there uh, mm. that, that you can try and track through and 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 see if Sarah's done a good job of of, of defending it. But it's I think it's it's very well done and uh, is still out there in the Josh. What what section is that in? That's in the video, right? Because Sarah presented it as a video as a PowerPoint presentation, correct? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, but if you just it's also an article. I think it's both. I think it's a yeah. video and an article. And if you just search Sarah, it'll pop up on our website. All right. Very good. Sarah, uh, you still doing the thing with Q this next season? Uh, we, we haven't got anything set up. We've always said that we'll, we'll keep going, but, but nothing set up as of yet, but I'm sure we'll, we'll get back together soon. All right. Very well. And on Twitter, they follow you at S G Ellison. All right. Outstanding. Sarah, great follow Josh, uh, three going up with the Orioles in spring training. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, 336 is always busy. Um, but uh, people should follow Birdland Sports right now. Because uh, for one, that's the business kind of behind film study that everything runs through and Section 336 runs through. But we're launching a new Orioles post-game show since Masson has backed out and they're not doing a post-game show for the Orioles this year. So we've got a bunch of Oriole bloggers and podcasters who are coming on each night to do a little 30 minute post game show after every Oriole game. So uh, that'll be on all your social media channels live under Birdland Sports. So are check you, that are out. you part of the talent for that, Josh, or are they are they are you rotating through a different blogger every night or how, how does it work? Uh, yes, uh, both of that. I mean, I'll be part of it. And then uh, it's probably 10, 12, may, might even be 14, 15 people to, in order to get through 162 where 100 of them might be losses. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. But it'll be a good way to kind of get to know these young guys for the future of the Orioles. Yeah, it's so. exciting. Even reading the 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 different names in the uh, in the paper about who might be starting pitchers, it, it kind of feels like you're living in Cleveland when Major League is being filmed. It's yeah, it's it's the future. It's not this year. So, but uh, yeah, so that's a new thing that's launching uh, now. So people should check that out and check out the Birdland Tonight podcast. All right. And the schedule show for film study coming up, we've got still a few uh, unrestricted free agent uh, yeah. review shows by position. They'll be yep. out so this is, Friday. Uh, yeah, we're going to get them out by Thursday morning since that's when a uh, free agency opens up. Right. Um, so we've got this will be out on Tuesday morning when you get this. So then that means Wednesday morning, you're going to get the offensive line UFAs. Wednesday, well, somehow you'll get offensive line, defensive line, and wide receivers by Thursday morning. Very so good. we're going to cram them all in over the next three days. 
All right, Josh, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.